Appreciate it. Sit down, sit down. We're already long on time. I appreciate that. You're taking away my time when you stand like that. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm sorry for invading your Monday space. I know this is render space and uh, this is sacred student space and usually we're not around on Mondays in here, but you guys gave us this space. We have some students. It's interesting. We had um, a handful cancel today because they were coming from out of state and I thought they were going to get snowed in and spend the rest of their life in Minneapolis, so they chose not to come. But we got a few brave people from Fargo, North Dakota, around the state of Minnesota, and uh, some locals here. We welcome you to NCU. So, my goodness, what a run this last couple weeks has been from this pulpit. Honestly, feel a little intimidated just to jump into the flow of Martha Tennyson and Sean Smith uh, and just what the Lord and others, what the Lord has been doing in our school has just been monumental and so powerful. Some of the best chapels in my four and a half years of being at this school have been in the last couple weeks. And so we just want to keep that, keep that thing going this morning. Thank you so much for your constant grace, constant honor, all of that wonderful stuff. Take your Bibles, if you will, go to Hebrews chapter 9 this morning. Hebrews chapter 9. I was thinking about us in this room, and I was thinking about actually West Point uh, Military Academy. And West Point is different. It's a college. You get a degree from West Point. But when you go there, there's some extracurricular things at West Point, which other universities just simply don't, don't practice. It's like our school. There, there's, I don't know of a school in the country that is still having chapel every day that's a fully accredited, sophisticated, full university that provides chapel every day with some strong level of requirement to be here. And I know you're building your chapel credits and hopefully nobody's cheating. And if you are, that conviction will fall today. Don't be sending friends codes. I don't care how much they pay you for those codes, okay? So, ooh, oh, 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 oh. What just happened? Talk to yeah. Well, let's start talking right now. But at West Point, every day, man, they got to get up. I think it's at five a.m. and they got to go run a couple miles. Everybody gets up and runs every day at West Point. Now they're producing officers. They're also producing some dropouts that can't cut it. They had imagined or fantasized about going to West Point, but that getting up every day. And running those couple miles, I mean, after they actually experienced it, they said, I just, I can't take it. So you lose some. But what is produced on the officer side by that practice is unbelievable. And I think there are students that come here and this place throws them off their rhythm because of the spiritual demands of North Central University. And yeah, we lose some students here at you know, the Kingdom West Point, if I'll just put it that way, by coming to chapel regularly. But the officers that we are producing out of this university that make it through this process to go water this earth are second to none. So this is a different school. This is a different school. It requires a different kind of leveling up of your commitment and your practice. But I'm so proud of you. But Daily Chapel is not designed to be a grind. We bring some of the greatest speakers from all over the world uh, come into this space, and that's why you get exposed. Most universities never, ever have these kind of lineups come to their school technically free of charge. Uh, you're not paying for a class, so you got to be in chapel. But man, take advantage of every, every bit of this and get a notebook and kind of make it your chapel notebook and then 
30 years from now, when you look back through this season, man, you said, man, these were all the chapels, these were the speakers I heard. These are the things I learned in this great space. But thank you for your grit uh, to grind through. As you know, tomorrow's a big day around here. We're hosting one of the most significant events. It'll be very uh, sorrowful as we process with the city of Minneapolis, the killing of Deshaun Hill. Uh, the funeral will be tomorrow. Uh, the viewing will be at one o'clock. Uh, the casket will be here. And then the, the service starts at two. Thank you for all those who've signed up to volunteer to be a part of um, that event. It's not open to the students. We, we, we think we're going to fill every single seat here. North Minneapolis High School is suspending classes. Uh, there's many from around the city and the region that have been terribly um, uh, touched uh, by Deshaun's passing that will be at the funeral tomorrow. So just keep our campus full of prayer and anointing. Uh, our friend Bishop Howell will be speaking at the, at the uh, funeral. And this place will be filled with kids who don't know Jesus Christ. And I know that tomorrow there's going to be a chance for them to get saved here at North Central University. So, But that'll be a big day. Then, then we kind of shift. And tomorrow night, we've got to bring our A game tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, we're hosting the first round, both men's and women's, the first round of the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference, the UMAC basketball playoffs. Some of the most exciting basketball games I ever saw in my life were Saturday around this place, Friday and Saturday. But Tuesday night, wait, 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 is it Wednesday? It just got moved a half hour ago to Wednesday. Really? Now I know. Who knew? I'm the president. I didn't know. Wow. Okay, gives you an extra day to get your strength and your vocal cords up. So Wednesday night, man, 5.30, we got to pack the gym for, for the ladies. This, our women's team is the number one ranked still. National Christian College Athletic Association, which has how many schools in that conference, or in nationwide? Yeah, there, there's... There's scores of universities. We're the number one ranked uh, 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 women's team in America um, in, in that whole thing. So I'm, I'm, it's dead on serious amazing. Then the guys play afterwards at 7 o'clock or 7.30. So Wednesday night, man, let's fill this place up, make it loud and proud. All right, Hebrews chapter 9. The verse is going to be on the screen here for you. If I had a leadership curriculum that I would teach on a constant basis, this would be at the core of my curriculum. This verse, the concept I want to give you, I heard through, through Martha Tennyson and Sean Smith a prevailing theme that the transaction of all the pain and trauma that our world is just circling in right now, some young people in this generation are going to break out from that, that cycle and that circling of just living in this state of pain and trauma and just the, the, the living and the just digesting and then uh, uh, just kind of throwing it all back out there for everybody. We're just living in this state of confusion. A few are going to break out of that cycle. I believe those few are in this room. How do we bust out of that and become something different, something else, something more to this generation? How do we make the transaction of trauma and turn pain into teaching? This verse right here is a game changer for my life. I live by this verse. I seek to practice this verse. I bet a week doesn't go by in my life, my leadership life, that Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and especially 28, guide what I do. So I want to kind of teach this morning on the heels of these great moves of God 
and put a tool in your hand, a tool in your mind out of Hebrews to make the transaction. Here we go. It says, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that come judgment, so also Christ was offered once. Say that word with me, once. Once, once, once. Do the math in this verse. Offered once for all time. So what Jesus did different than us is his work spanned all of humanity. When Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross, that cross went in two directions. Almost like big battleship gun turrets pointed to the Old Testament and a big battleship gun turret pointed to the New Testament, to the future. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, his sacrifice on the cross covered all of past humanity and future humanity and made atonement for their sin. So when he cried out, it is finished, all of those who died in faith looking toward the hope in the Old Testament, boom, the blood of Jesus went all the way back to creation and made atonement and access for everybody that died that looked it, that was accounted unto righteousness as they looked toward the promise. Then all those people that were living in that day like Peter, boom, the blood of Jesus covered them and made atonement. But it also, on the other side of the cross, boom, went into the future. And it covered us. And it put a deposit for our atonement for sin, even though we were yet to be born and yet to sin. So Jesus did it once for all, for all of humanity. We cannot do that. All we can do is demonstrate not just the provision, but the pattern of Jesus to our neighbor. What we're responsible for is to mimic with sincerity and genuineness and authenticity what Jesus did for humanity. Okay, so here's how this works. I've got to be Jesus, though I'm not Jesus, but I get to be Jesus, and I get to pattern my behavior and represent his work on the cross through my words, through my deeds, through my proximity. And so it says, though, that Jesus was offered once for all time, both old and new, for all of eternity. Jesus was offered as both lamb and priest. He was all of it on the cross. It says, as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He was offered once to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting for him. So many powerful qualifiers in this text. So Jesus appeared the first time to deal with sin, that when he comes a second time, it's not to deal with sin, but to bring salvation. I want to teach you how to make this work in your human interactions with people so that we can be the pattern of Christ that represents the provision of Christ, which we cannot provide for people, but we can be the pattern of Jesus to them. This is a powerful verse. So it basically teaches us that when Jesus appeared the first time, he did something once for all, which means he didn't have to continue to do this one thing. That one thing was to die as the blameless, spotless lamb, he again wasn't a temporary payment, minimum payment on the credit card that keeps the debt there, but simply keeps the judgment away. Jesus wasn't a minimum payment on a debt. 
That's what the Old Testament was. Sacrifices of grain offerings, animal sacrifices. All of these offerings were just simply the minimum payment on a credit card balance. Simply kept it away. Jesus came, and so great was his sacrifice that it covered every zero. I've taught you this before. So fat was that check that he wrote on Calvary. It covered all of the payment for past sin, and it purchased my salvation. It went in both directions. So Jesus did that once. We cannot replicate that. We're not called to be a provision. We're called to be a pattern. It's different. So Jesus, once for all, came to deal with sin. He became the curse. He who knew no curse became the curse. And he took it away. And we have that powerful image in the Old Testament of the priest one day a year would take all the sins symbolically. He would take blood from this animal, place it on a living uh, goat and an animal. And they would take the animal so far into the wilderness, it became the scapegoat. It became a cursed so far removed from the camp that it could not return. It was a symbol of when our sins are forgiven and removed as far as the east is from the west, put into the sea of forgetfulness. These powerful metaphors are represented by this act of the priest sending the sins of the nation on an animal, taken that it became a curse, removed from the center of the camp, removed from the center of Israel to the outer wilderness. And it, it was so far removed it could never return. So Jesus, when he took our sins and he, and he descended into hell and then ascended into heaven, he became the accursed one who took on the sin, removed it from our presence, the center of our life. So great was that removal that can't find its way back in a punitive legal way. Now watch this. So Jesus became the one once for all. He took the sin. He removed it. That when he comes again, what's that mean? When he comes again, we're waiting for that return, for Jesus to return. We believe that. The Bible teaches that. That there will come a moment when a trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. It's called the rapture of the church. When it happens, the sequencing of its, of its happening, uh, theologians debate could be debated in our classrooms about this powerful eschatological moment of, of, of prophecy and the return and end times. And so Jesus has predicted that we would and promised that we would be caught up together with him. That when he comes again, he comes to what? Bring salvation. So the second time he comes, he doesn't have to die on the cross again. So powerful and perfect was that sacrifice that Jesus doesn't have to do it twice. He had to do it once. No other high priest can claim that. No other animal can claim that. No act of human history, spiritual history can claim that act as being a single act that covered it all for all of humanity in both directions. That's why we love Jesus. And that's why Jesus is the name above every name, that under heaven there's no other name that brings salvation except Jesus' name. That's why there's such a war on Jesus. Not a war on God, not a war necessarily on Christianity, though it's there, but it's a war on Jesus. People react to Jesus. That's why the enemy uses his name as a vulgarity to diminish it. That's why people that don't even ever been exposed to Christianity, when something goes wrong, they speak the name of Jesus as a point, <coughs> a point of frustration or emphasis of their carnality or their vitriol. 
Where's that coming from? Why don't they pick another name? Because that name, there's no other name under heaven that creates the war, that makes demons tremble. So Jesus, once for all died, took the sin away, that when he comes again, he brings salvation. Now, why is that critical for breaking the victim cycle? Why is that critical when it comes to the transaction of trauma and pain? When it comes to a wholeness, contribution, and community, your narrative or your testimony, your testimony is based on one simple premise. I mentioned this the other day when Sean was here. Whatever you've gone through is to help those now going through. Whatever you've walked through is to help others who have to walk through it in the future. That's the whole premise of the kingdom of God. That's the whole premise of why your testimony is so hated by the realms of darkness. You see, the first time Moses went across the wilderness, he did it alone, except for the movie crew that was there that was filming it, uh, of course, in the Ten Commandments. Nearly killed him. His reward for making it across the Sinai Desert was to be asked to go back and do it again. Only this time as a teacher. That's the transaction. See, victimhood is a vicious cycle, friends. Victims live in a reverse world of trying to change what cannot be changed while avoiding the things that they have full control over. We're going to get to that. This transaction is the key. The Holy Spirit has empowered us at these altars. The blood of Jesus has set us free. Now as disciples, we have to make the transaction. It's that transaction from trauma to teaching. The Bible tells us that the grand idea of grace, or teaches us the grand idea of grace is to take pain and to turn it into teaching. The great risk, however, of Christianity is that you never experience this transaction, even if you go to church or to a Christian college. You never experience that transaction of how to do this. See, nothing is more dangerous than watching a bitter person lead a just cause. Nothing is more dangerous than having somebody under the banner of Christianity seek to do something just while bitterness boils in their soul. It is very true that trauma, friends, tragedy and crisis are where most leaders are discovered. But it cannot be why they are promoted. Your trauma is not what's going to promote you. It will get you noticed. But the transaction of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, is the key to your future. Let me explain this. Because people want to follow leaders, not bleeders. A leader is different than a bleeder. And we can bleed all over the place for the rest of our life. But we are denying the power of Christ's testimony and what he can do to transform the trauma into teaching. Pain is a genuine, raw fuel source. There are vast untapped reservoirs of this fuel source sitting in our churches, sitting in our university. Pain that's just sitting there waiting to be refined and, re and released into redemptive ways. It only becomes useful and powerful when it is refined and turned into something else. Refined, it becomes the raw fuel source for the comfort of others and the promotion of God's kingdom. It's powerful. Your story is powerful. Mephibosheth, we've talked about him many, many times. 
Kid got dropped when he was a kid in his grandpa's war. Nurse grabs him. She fumbles him like a football. He bounces on the floor. He's a little dude. He breaks both legs. There's no medical care. There's war going on. Everybody's running for their life. His legs don't heal correctly. So he grows up disfigured. He got dropped by a caregiver in a war that he didn't even create. And we got that all over the United States. But what can Christ do with that pool and that generation of leaders is what I'm talking about today. Not simply to acknowledge that people that should have cared for you dropped you or that you were caught in a war not of your making. It's what can Jesus do? How can the transaction of that pain uh, happen in your life and turn it into profound teaching? Mephibosheth dropped young, wounded during his grandfather's war. He saw the world as a young adult through the eyes of resentment. It never became reconciled to Mephibosheth's eyes when he, when he was a young adult. All of his teenage years, this thing just lived with him. The fact that a caregiver had dropped him. He's orphaned. The wound was closed but never cleansed. See, friends, justice is simply the baseline of human activity. Justice is only the baseline. Reconciliation is the hope. There's a wide gap between justice and reconciliation. Justice may mitigate the retribution and create temporary restraining orders between people. But the anxiety remains. Only Christians and only the kingdom of God can deal with, can offer reconciliation, which is a much greater gift to this world than justice. Justice is critical. Civil societies can't operate without justice. But don't be trapped as a Christian into thinking as you fight for justice that you're fighting for the highest ideal of humanity. It's really the lowest baseline of coexistence is justice. Reconciliation is what we're after, in which the relationship and the enmity between people is lifted by, by Jesus and the anxiety is is uh, removed between people groups. That's what I'm praying for when I look at this world that we live in. Now, wounded people carry three traits. Wounded people carry three traits. Real quick here. First of all, they punish the next person for the actions of the previous person. They live their life punishing people for things that they never did. They punish the next person for, because of the actions of the previous individual. Secondly, they live suspicious of everybody. From 50 feet away, I've categorized you, so I'm suspicious of you. you got to mitigate my suspicion. Believers don't operate that way. Jesus never approached anybody with suspicion and hesitancy. With confidence, enthusiasm. He didn't say, you look like somebody else that did this, so I'm going to put that on you. We've already seen that that kind of trash doesn't work historically in the United States. That's why we're in the mess we're in right now. Let's not replicate it in this generation. Let's not stereotype. Let's not stigmatize. Let's not categorize people. If Jesus did anything, he destroyed all of that through the model of his ministry. And we're called again not to be the provision, but to be the pattern. Here we go, almost done. Wounded people, victims, believe that retribution is the key to their happiness. Not Christians. I was talking to a young man one time and he had been molested. 
by a father. The boy had been molested by a father. I take that back. It was by his uncle that molested the boy. And he wanted desperately for this uncle to admit it and to say it perfectly. I finally had to tell this young man, if you're hoping for a human being to do something to mitigate the kind of pain put into your life, you're going to spend the rest of your life looking for something totally elusive because there's no human being that can atone nor sacrifice perfectly to liberate you. Only one can. His name is Jesus. Okay, now, oh man, we're out of time. Here we go. I got to get this. So here's the key of the transaction. Number one, when you confront a person or event in your life in the future, you ask yourself this question. Does this person belong in front of me or behind me? The enemy is constantly trying to move around your past circumstances of your life like a chess piece. Every negative circumstance belongs in one of two places. Behind you as a reconciled or forgiven act or in front of you as something to face and take responsibility for. Satan is always trying to reverse these chess pieces, the things that God has forgiven and reconciled. He wants to put that back in front of you and the things that you are responsible for that the Holy Spirit is reminding you of the devil wants to slide that piece behind you so you avoid it for the rest of your life. This little game can take place for the entirety of your life. I want to encourage us today. Jesus came a first time to take away sin. Okay, so when I deal with you, here we go, and I'm done. Musician, come up here. Got to bring this to a close. First of all, you hurt me. Um, there's nothing really you can say to ultimately take away the hurt. Only Jesus can. If you say you're sorry, I won the lottery. If the dad says he's sorry, the uncle, okay, you won the lottery. You got what 5,000 other people didn't get. So that can't be the premise for freedom. Is your words to me, though you hurt me. I've taken what you've done to me to Jesus. He came and he lifted the offense off of me, the weight off of me for what you put on me, he took from me. Okay? So that my job now that when I come a second time to you is to bring actually salvation because the burden of what you've done to me is greater than the burden I carry for what you've done. Most people don't believe that, but it's true. So what I do, like Joseph did to his brothers, is I get to lift the boulder off of you even though you committed the offense. Because when I come a second time, I bring salvation. If you and a friend say you're sorry you hug, you get it right, <clears throat> you deal with sin. When you come a second time, here's the pattern of victim. The victim cycle is every time I see you, we will always be back at ground zero in this event. This starts over. Jesus said he came a first time to deal with sin, that when he came a second time, it's not to deal with sin, but to bring salvation. So how do we turn trauma into teaching? First of all, we ultimately recognize that only Jesus lifts off of me what you did to me, not you. If I expect you to take it off me, again, I've won the lottery if you say it just perfect and behave just right. It's not going to happen in most cases. So my liberty is not dependent upon you. It's 
dependent solely on Jesus. So now I'm free. That even my betrayers, like Joseph, I can lift the burden off my betrayers because like Jesus, I came to take away sin. That when I come a second time, I bring salvation. How do you stop thinking about something, guys? Is you stop talking about it. The only thing that gives oxygen to your pain is the constant rehash of your words about it. At some point, you have to take it to the Lord, like Joseph, who spent 20 years in Egypt and never one time told Pharaoh about his brothers. Can you imagine that? How is that possible? Hey, tell me about your life. Oh, these brothers screwed me over. They did. Really? If I ever see them, I'll take them out. I'm Pharaoh. When Pharaoh met Joseph's brothers, it says he was glad to see them. Seriously? Why would you be glad to see Joseph's brothers? Only if Joseph had transacted the pain and the trauma to the fundamental transaction of the Lord taking it off my life, liberating me, making me free, that all my trauma can become teaching, that all the setbacks become a sent ahead. Everything done to me has made me a deliverer of many. Okay. Not this constant puke of rehash. Now that's why very few break free from the pack. Because Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 requires the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to deal with sin once. But from that point forward, I bring salvation to the relationship. Bring salvation to every relationship you can in your life. You will turn the trauma into teaching, flip the devil on his head, and we will water this earth with officers out of West Point Pentecostal North Central University Daily Chapel School. That sound ridiculous, but you know what? You got what I meant. Let's all stand together. I'm glad you came to chapel this morning. I'll let you guys get out of here. Father, we just take this deep in our heart today. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and died once for all humanity and for all time. I don't have to die for all humanity and all time, God. Only you, Jesus, have done that. That's why I worship you, Jesus. But Lord, you're the provision. Now we're the pattern. And we pray, Lord, today that these leaders who've been filled with the Holy Spirit, set free at this altar, God, will begin to offer this world the powerful transaction of trauma into teaching, into ministry, Lord. I pray for everybody that this really hit home, God. Let it just resonate for years to come. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. We love you. We love you. Thank you for being here.